Amen. Amen, amen. Thanks so much, guys. That was an awesome, awesome time of worship. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Sunday night service. Uh, my name's Jake. I head up the uh, young adult and college age ministry here at Res Life. It's called Access. I don't see too many Access members here. Um, they must be out at the beach or something. Um, I wanted to open up... Oh, Jasmine. What's up, girl? Mm. Um, wanted to open up and see who is not a part of the Res Life family that's here. Raise your hand if you're here like for, for family and... Well, we want to welcome you guys here. One of, the, one of the, my biggest heart cries um, for the church in America is that we would unite and that we would start actually agreeing and fighting the same battle and stop fighting against each other. So thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if I say anything you don't agree with, you can throw your tomatoes. It's okay. Um, but we're so happy. Um, before we get started, I have a freebie that I want to give you guys. As I was kind of just sitting there in worship, I, I thought um, God just laid something in my heart that's very foundational, but just a good reminder altogether. It's um, we have to change our perspective. We have to change um, how we think about those things on our resume that we just really don't like. The habitual sins that we, that we seem to fall into, the anger, the frustration, the stress, the anxiety, the depression... Um, maybe it's the lust, maybe, what, I don't know what it is for you. But those things on our resume that we just try to cover up with all the, you know, when you're writing your resume, you don't put on the, your weaknesses. When you're writing your resume, you put on all the, the good things. Oh, Eric's here too. What's up, Eric? He's a leader at Access. Sorry, I'm scatterbrained sometimes. So, sometimes, so we have to start realizing that our weaknesses... are our biggest strengths. And I know we say that where we are weak, he is strong. We get the verse. We've heard it before. But we have to start grasping this idea that when we hand the areas of our brokenness over to God, he will do a supernatural work inside of us and make that area the place that he's glorified. But most often times, we spend our lives hiding those areas of weaknesses and promoting our strengths and saying, look at us. But what if our areas of sin, our areas of brokenness, when submitted unto God, would become our greatest victories? But I'll tell you what it takes. Something that's so very, very difficult. Two things. It takes honesty. Because you can't just keep it to yourself. You can't just say, okay, I got this problem, but I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to keep it to me and God, and that's the only... No, you see, when it comes to church, when it comes to being a believer and a follower of Christ, uh, uh, something that has to happen is you have to be in a community of believers who promote each other. So then you have an area that you're weak, you bring it to of someone that you trust, and they don't condemn you. They actually bring you up with gentleness. But we've spent our time, and we've done a really good job of condemning and judging our fellow brothers and sisters, and so no one will open up. We have to open up. In a group this size, including myself, we got junk that we just won't admit. We cover it up by coming to church. We cover it up by getting in small groups. We cover it up by posting Facebook statuses that have a Bible verse in it. 
I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm just saying we have to get honest with ourselves and realize that when we're honest with ourselves, we bring our weaknesses to God. With humility, we understand that he is a supernaturally powerful, loving God who will promote you because of your honesty and your humility. He'll promote us. We have to stop focusing on our strengths and start tapping in to the God of the universe who loves to use weakness. So why he chose Israel. They were the weakest of all the nations. He says, I choose you. That's why he chose David. He was a 14-year-old kid. He says, I'll choose you. And that's why he's going to choose all of you tonight. Because I believe that there is an anointing on here for us to become honest and humble and step into the call that God has for our lives. And that includes bringing our failures and our habitual sins and addictions to him and saying, God, I'm weak. I need you to do something. So that's a freebie. That's a freebie. Praise God, he's so good. Um, one more freebie and then I'll get started. Um, I asked uh, Braden, where are you at? He's probably gonna be like, don't look at... Braden's in the back, Braden North. He's, a, he's one of the guys in the youth here at Res Life. He's just a phenomenal man. This dude loves the Lord with all his heart. It's so cool to see. Um, I asked him before service. I said, hey, I, I just want you to be in tune with what God is saying for uh, this group of people tonight. So what is... What, is there anything that God wants to say? So he, he shared with something with me, and it was this. It was that there's one person in, in this room, and I'm, I'm singling in on one person, and you're going to know who it is. This is what Braden felt God lay in his heart for this group, that there's one person who came in, not even knowing, knowing why they're here, saying that God doesn't love me. Maybe questioning, like, God does, not, does God really love me? And what I want to hear, I want to say to that person is that God loves you with all his heart. He's fighting for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to use the shame that you're feeling to bring others who are feeling what you're feeling right now to God. So if that's you, just take it, and now we're going to get started. I'm just going to pray. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for, for just how good you are, Father. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who provides the strength and the power for us to live this thing out called Christianity. And I thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes it all possible. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, so I want to talk to you tonight about uh, Samuel and Eli. Uh, I, I didn't, I, I'd kind of forgotten that there was child dedication tonight, so it seems fitting that we talk about Samuel, because if you know the story of Samuel... His mother was Hannah, who couldn't have children, and so she cries out to God and says, God, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you, and he'll be a follower, and he'll, be, he'll go and be a, or live in your house forever, meaning the, where the priests live, or the prophets. So, so Samuel, she ends up miraculously having a baby named Samuel. She gives him to Eli, who raises him up to be a prophet. And so we're going to read about his, the early um, stages of his life. But before we start, I want to show you guys a picture um, so if you know what this is, don't yell it out. But odds are, a majority of you are looking at a picture and you literally have no idea what it is. Don't, if you see it, don't say it. But it's kind of foggy, you don't really know what's going on, right? Okay, take the picture down. We'll come back to it later. So remember that picture. And I think that picture describes a lot of, a lot of our lives and a lot of our self-perception of ourselves. Um, we look at our life, we look at the experiences, we look at about how people treat us, we look at how the world has, has deemed us to be, and it seems really fuzzy. We can't really make it out to be. 
We can't really understand why we're here. There's moments and seasons in our life that we're just simply confused by what we're looking at when we look at the mirror. When we look at ourselves, we're simply just, it looks like a big mess, doesn't it? That, that picture is just kind of like a cluttered mess. And when we look at our lives, it just seems messy. We're going to get going into Eli and Samuel. We'll come back to that picture later on. I'm going to start in uh, chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, verses 3 through 10, if you have your Bibles. It'll be on the screen otherwise. It says, The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark. Suddenly the Lord called out to Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up, went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. And later on, the Lord went to, to tell Samuel a message to give to Eli. It was a, it was a ne very negative message. And so I want to focus in and, and highlight some things about this passage. And I think something that I strongly and that this church, we strongly, strongly believe is that God still speaks to his people today. That God has not stopped speaking. The whole Bible is about God speaking to people. And today he still desires to interact with his people on a conversational basis. And this, this story of Eli and Samuel and God, I think, paints a really good picture of, of a lot of our lives as, as we grow up. But the, some things I want to point out in this, in this passage is my first point, which is Samuel slept strategically. It says the lamp, verse 3 says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark. Samuel saw something. Samuel saw Eli who lived in the temple and the ark was where the presence of God in the Old Testament resided. So Samuel understood something as a young boy. He understood that if I could get close to the ark sooner or later, I'm going to have an experience with the living God that will change my life forever. Samuel slept strategically. How does that do apply to us today? Let me ask us a question. Ask a question. Are we putting ourselves in a position to hear from the living God? Do we ever take time to wait on the Lord? Or are we always being in the word, reading, 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 talking to God, talking to God, praying to God, requesting to God, praying to God, and never sitting and resting in silence, waiting for God to speak to us? Are we giving ourselves an opportunity to hear or to listen? 
And when I'm not, I'm not condemning reading and I'm not condemning requesting. I'm saying there's another dynamic of our relationship with God that so often gets ignored, which is waiting on him. Sometimes it's uncomfortable because it's like you're listening and it's silent and then you start thinking about like you start thinking about like cold stone and you're like why am I thinking about cold stones Satan get behind me I'm trying to think about the Lord right now but cold stone is just calling my name and You're trying to wait and you just get kind of distracted That's okay That's okay Because the more that we practice the more that it becomes practical Samuel slept strategically. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Another translation says, A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means who seek him, then maybe nothing happens. But then they seek him, then maybe nothing happens again. And that means they go back, and they go back, and they go back. He says God rewards those who go back. God rewards the persistent. He rewards those who are tenacious. He rewards those who say, even though I'm not experiencing it, I'm going to pursue it because I believe. Because if we always saw, it wouldn't be faith. Then it would just be what we've seen. We don't live by sight, we live by faith. So sometimes we have to be persistent. In Luke 11, 5 through 13, it talks about this story about, about a friend who goes to his neighbor and he says, can I have a loaf of bread? And it's midnight and, 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 and the home owner of the house comes out and he says, what are you doing here? He says, go away. But then the guy comes back and asks again and then the guy comes back and he asks again and then the guy comes back and says, because he was persistent, he got his loaf of bread. And then a few verses later, connected to this passage, we get this, this these string of verses that we often read and that we often are familiar with. It's verses 10 of Luke 11. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. You see that it's in the context of being persistent that when we ask, we receive, and then when we seek, we find, and when we knock, the door is open. You see, it's not when we ask the first time, it's when we go back and we go back and we go back. So if you're here and you say, well, going back to Eli and going back to Samuel and say, well, I've never heard the voice of God, and there's some, there's some misconceptions about the voice of God when people use it in the context of, of, of church and Christianity, and that's that the voice of God is always has to be audible, but God often speaks in mysterious ways. He often is just the still, small voice. He's often that thought in your head that's just a little bit smarter than you. If something's in your head that's smarter than you, you better believe there's a God. Often it's in the, it's in the Impressions like, I, this, why am I thinking about that person? I, I've had that and I've known many, many, many of people who've had that same, why am I thinking about that person? Maybe, just maybe, the God of the universe wants you to intercede and fight for that person in prayer. And maybe he's asking us to start fighting and start pulling and fighting the spiritual battle for our brothers and sisters who are in need of us. And maybe, just maybe, we can start becoming more familiar with the, the voice of the living God. 
the second point that I, that I want to get out of this passage about Samuel, Eli, and, and God's voice is the fact that there's hearing and there's listening. There's hearing and there's listening. Hearing is the act of perceiving sound by ear. So it doesn't mean that you actually understand or you engage, like some of you right now are probably not listening to me, who are, they're looking up right now. We got someone on their phone. This young girl's not listening to me. She's playing with her dad. Come on. And yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's like, I'm still not listening. So there's, different, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is the act of perceiving sound by ear. Listening is something that we do consciously. Your brain processes meaning from words and sentences. So listening is an active engagement with the person who's communicating. We often, when we're listening, we often connect what we hear with with something that we know. So as I'm talking right now, you're connecting my words with your prior knowledge about the topic that we're discussing. That's why when, when someone gets up and speaks, you know, you'll get like five different people who come and say, this is what I got out of what you said. This is what I got out of what you Because you are all connecting with different experiences that you've had in life. That's a part of listening. And God, what I believe, is still speaking today into our lives about the experiences that we've, we're having. But how does he speak to us? He speaks to our spirit. John 4.24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You see, God is spirit, and he's given us a spirit. And when we get saved, when we say yes to Jesus, we get translated into the kingdom of heaven or into this new kingdom where our spirit is capable of connecting with God's spirit. And oftentimes when he is trying to communicate, and I like to say this, God is a blabbermouth. He loves to talk. He hasn't stopped talking. He loves to talk. He loves to talk. He loves to talk. But he's, you see, this is where people kind of get skewed. They say, well, well, God has talked through his word. Yes, he has. But how many know there's like 100 million different denominations and that we all have different perceptions about the, about the Bible? So, man, oh, what do we do about that? Here's what we do about that. We get in our room and we have Holy Spirit who teaches us the word of God. They called Jesus a teacher. He said, don't call me a teacher. There is one teacher and he's coming after me. His name's Holy Spirit. Hearing versus listening. God is spirit. So when he speaks to us, he speaks to our spirit. And oftentimes the spirit then translates to the soul, which then translates to the body. And I talked about this on a Wednesday night. Oftentimes, naturally, we live from the flesh to the soul, which is our emotions, our mind, and the decisions we make, and then to our spirit. So we take what we experience in the flesh, translate it through emotions, and that's how we get what we believe in the spirit. And God is saying this, I don't want you to live from the flesh because there's nothing that's good in the flesh. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So he says, I want you to live in the spirit, and then I want you to take what you learn in the spirit, translate it to your emotions and to your soul, and then tell your body what to do. Because the spirit has dominion and power over the flesh. 
but it's only if you live from there. If we live from the flesh and we talk to our spirit over there, we'll never have the authority and the power that we would like to see in our lives. So God is spirit. He's speaking to us in our spirit, and it's being translated in our emotions and in our decision-making, and then it goes to our body. So it's important that we realize that when he speaks to us, we're involved. Like, like we have a part to play when God is, is speaking to us, when he's leading us and guiding us. There's going to be some emotion. There's going to be some fighting like... Like, I guarantee Braden, when he delivered that word to me, he was like, Jake, I don't know if this, you should say this on stage. I'm like, dude, we're going for it. Because the only way that we're going to get it is if we practice. And I love, and I love, and I love when we see young people who get it. So we got to start living from this place called the spirit where God is speaking to us, to our spirit. And sometimes it's like, oh, that's not me. But what if God is actually speaking to the real you, not the you that you think you are? John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. There's so many, I mean, when I was 19, I was, I was sitting in this room in a service, and a guy got up on stage. His name's Darren. He's my mentor. And he got up on stage, and he started talking about how God speaks to him and all these different testimonies. And I was sitting right over there, and I was like, man, I've been in church my whole life. Man, I've learned the Bible. I've done everything. And I'm not talking against the Bible. I'm just saying that it was in a position where I knew the Bible, but what he was saying really attracted, it was attractive to me. This interactive life that we can have with the Father that actually plays out in our real life. And I remember sitting there and I went up to him. I said, Darren, I don't, I don't know how to do that. He said, let's just, why don't you meet me for coffee? And then we'll talk about it. And he started discipling me, much like Eli did. Remember Eli? Remember the guy? There's some older folk in here, sorry, um, who have younger people in their life that you need to be an Eli to. That they're hearing the voice of God, but they have no discernment on what it is. And they're wandering, asking questions. You need, we, need to be a peop, we need to be a group of people, a body of believers, who take the young people and say, come on, I'll teach you. And I can say as a young person, you all perceive us as snotty little arrogant brats, the millennials, who don't want to be told anything. I'm telling you, we're waiting for a generation of older people who will humbly walk alongside of us and pull us up and show us what to do. We're waiting for it. But I can tell you, if we don't see it, we'll make our own waves and we'll make a lot of mistakes. And I'd rather not make the mistakes. I'd rather have the Merle and the Al and the Dwayne and the Craig Prince and the Sherry Prince and the Nikki and the Kevin and the Ryan. I'd love to have these, the group of people step up and show people how to hear and live for God. Be an Eli. You all have someone in your life when you say, I'm not qualified. Guess what? You are qualified. If you'd make yourself available, you'd be amazed at what God would do in your life. And oftentimes the reason why you're stuck in the position that you're in of dryness is because you're not pouring into anyone else. You're waiting to get poured into you and God's saying, dude, you're full. Go. He's wait. There are so many opportunities here at Res. There are junior hires who are waiting for you to show them what it looks like to love God with all your heart. There are high schoolers who are waiting for you to step up and say, this is how you love God. 
Not just in church, every day, all day. They're waiting for, to see you in public at McDonald's and Meyer and Starbucks. They're waiting to see you at Big B and you walk to someone and pray for them in public and say, Jesus loves you. They're waiting for the older generation to rise up and save the lost and bring them in. The thing that gets us most excited is when we see that we're stopped. We're not inwardly focused. We're outwardly focused. That's what's attractive to young people. We, we know we got problems, but guess what? We believe that God will use us even though we have them. Oh, I'm yelling. Turn the mic down. Oh. It's time for us to rise up. Every day. Not just in church. And you don't have to go to Res Life or to, to understand this. This is gospel. This is Jesus. This is Christianity at its finest. Save the lost. Do it every day. You're at Subway. Pay for the person's meal behind you and say, Jesus loves you with all his heart. He'll give anything. He'll give anything to get you back. And here's my expression of it. Here's your meal and here's a $5 gift card. Boom. I'm just saying these are practical things that we, that you're going to have a young person who's at Subway looking at you. He's going to say, what the world? And then they're going to come and they're going to, they might, you know, we're, we're curious beings. Why'd you, why'd you do that? And then you have a 62 year old man talking to a 20 year old boy. (laughs) Sorry if you're 20 and you're, you're, you're a man in your own way. Um, and then you have him showing and saying, it's because Jesus loves all people, and it's my expression of how God loves people. Money is just a monetary thing, and God loves them way more than he loves my money. And he says, whoa, I go to church. I've never seen anyone do that. Or maybe he'll say, I used to go to church. I grew up in church, and I've never seen anyone do that. And maybe, just maybe, he gets connected back to God because of our obedience and our love for people. That wasn't even in my notes. <laughs> Don't worry, we only got like 38 minutes left in my sermon, so. <laughs> Listening, my last, my last point, we'll say last point. Listening leads to legacy. Samuel became one of the most well-known prophets of all of history. He anointed King Saul. He anointed King David. He was the prophet for probably the most successful reign of Israel of all time. And his legacy started from one word. His legacy started from hearing God's voice and listening to God's voice one time. It started from one time. There's a verse in Psalm that I absolutely love. It's Psalm 103, verse 7. It says, He made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Bible is such a precious gift. I loved, I, I just, I was going to say, I flip in love the Bible. I say that on Thursday nights, they get me, so I just, I'm just kidding. 
And his word is so precious, but his word is not a list of rules. His word is not a list of commands. His word is life. And when I, when I read the Bible, I don't find out the rules. I find out the nature of God. It says he made his ways known, his ways. The way that God operates, he made known to Moses. He only made the deeds known to the people of Israel. See, listening leads to us getting to know the nature and the being and the character of the living God. If we start to understand him as a father who loves us with all of his heart and that would do anything to get us back, we get to know him as a friend who will step alongside of us and comfort us in our time of need. We get to know him as our savior who paid everything to get us back. We see when we listen it leads to a lifetime of legacy. It leads to a lifetime of testimonies and encounters with God that will bring us to our knees saying, God, you're alive and you're doing well. And oftentimes we get stuck in the routine of just trying to gain more knowledge. Knowledge does not equate to the ways of God. Let me say it again. Now, the knowledge of God does not equate to knowing the ways of God. The ways of God are so much, he is so much bigger than facts. He's so much bigger than science. He's so much bigger than any circumstance that we're living in. And this is what it says about the word of God. When we hear and, and, and engage with the, with the word of God, for the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Ephesians 6 talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And if you look up the Greek definition of the word, the word of God, so if you look up that Greek definition, let me read it to you, it, it, it it describes it as this, that which is or has been spoken by the living voice of God. Let me say it again. That which is, that which is speaking or has been spoken by the living voice of God. You see, God has spoken his word and his, is his word. But I can tell you a time that I was at Grace Bible College in the bottom of the library sitting doing my devotions and I read a verse and it says, you are the sons of God. And I broke down weeping because I realized for the first time that I was his son. You see, that was when this word becomes alive because it cuts into my thoughts, into my mind. And this word that he's speaking over me tells me who I am, not who I think I am. And oftentimes we get so consumed by what we think we are that we forget what God has spoken, who we say we are. He's spoken about who you are. He's spoken about who I am and he's not changing his mind. The only, the only mind that's being changed is ourselves, is our own minds. And one of the most powerful things that God can do is speak to us about who we are. But the beautiful thing is, if you pick up your Bible, you read it all the time. You'll read that you're a masterpiece. You'll realize that you're a son. You'll realize that you're loved, that you're just cherished, and that you're beloved by God. You'll realize this as you read the Word of God. But it's when we partner with what the Word of God says, with the living voice of God, whose name is Holy Spirit, that activates the Word of God, where it becomes alive, it becomes active, and we start becoming just, just delighted in what the Word of God, what the Bible actually says. 
When it's not just a wake up in the morning and do my devotion. See, there's, there's tremendous power in discipline. But discipline, this is what Pastor Duane teaches. Discipline, no, I got that wrong. It's desire leads to discipline, leads to delight. First you have a desire, and then we have discipline. And then ultimately leads to a delight in the word of God. So I want to tell a few quick stories and then I want to end, end our time together. So I believe that God is speaking. We, we've established that. He's still speaking today. It's just whether or not we're listening. And I was, I was, I was talking with, with a guy, and I, was, kind of, I had a coffee meeting with him, and I was talking to him and just really going through some stuff, and he's having a hard time. And, and I said, if there's one word that you could describe yourself as, what would that one word be? He sat there, he's getting emotional. He says, probably a burden. I said, okay. So we're going to be doing an exercise shortly here. And what I asked him, I said, okay, we're going to do this exercise. And so I take him and then I said, okay, I want you to take this word burden. And I want you to take it and I want to give it to Jesus. And I want you to see what Jesus does with this word Burden. So he's, he's praying, he, he's, he's, he's taking this to Jesus, and, and he says, Jesus has totally obliterated it. And I said, okay, what word, do you, what word is Jesus giving you back? And he said, a blessing. You see, he can find that in the Bible. He can find it. I, I showed him scripture right out. This is what it says. You need to know the scripture that lines up with what God just spoke to you. You see, he was... He was believing a lie about himself that he was a burden, that the enemy spoke into his life from a time he was four years old. And then it took us presenting that word to Jesus, Jesus eliminating it, and then giving him a new word to live by. So now he fights his days. When he feels like a burden, he says, I thank you, God, that I'm a blessing. I have another friend who I was meeting with, and, and I, asked, I asked him to do the same thing. What's one word? And he said, worthless. And I said, oh, it breaks my heart, man. These are people who are have great parents, they grow up in church, and the enemy's just having their, his way with them. And we all can be subject to it. So worthless. I said, okay, buddy, let's take that word. So we do the same thing. Take the word, present it to Jesus. And he says it just dissolved right in front of him. This word that he took in front of Jesus. And I said, okay, what's the new word? He said, loved. And he starts crying in the middle of a coffee shop. Look, I, t- I can show him in the Bible where it says he loved, but when the living voice of God, the one that is speaking, enters a room, speaks into who you think you are, and totally obliterates that, it changes everything. Because when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves, we don't see worthless, we see loved. And then when we read the Bible and we, see, we, we listen to the voice, for God so loved the world, he goes, he loves me, it's right there. And then we were doing this exercise. I'll tell one more story. We had, we were, I just did this exercise with the, with the high schoolers. And there was a young guy who was in there, and, and he had the word lonely. So he takes the word, he takes it, gives it to Jesus. He says, Jesus just grabbed it from him, threw it away. And then, and then he said, Jesus, what word does Jesus give back to you? What does Jesus think about you? He said, Jesus, he says, I'm amazing. I say, well, I don't know if the word amazing is in the Bible, but, uh, but when a kid who's often reserved starts crying 
in the middle of a youth service because God tells him that he's amazing, I think that's okay with me. You see, these, we're, we're trying to teach people that, that there's the Bible, but it's when Holy Spirit activates the living word that it becomes alive. And then I was doing this exercise. You see, I'm not exempt. I'm just a normal person, guys. I was doing this exercise with, a, with the young adult people at a conference that we had, and, and I tell, I'll just tell you my story with this. See, we're all defined by words. The devil likes to use similar circumstances in order to speak death and lies into our lives. And so I'm going through, so my whole life I was marked with this, this identity or this lie that, that I always was going to get the second best. I was always going to get the second best. When I was young and I went to, I started going to a new school and then right when I got to this new school in fifth grade, I he, start hearing all these stories about like, you know, the good old days, like, Oh yeah, last year, two years ago, and it was always like talking about the past and we never celebrated the now. And I was like, okay, but that was when it first entered this lie that I only deserved the second best. And then when I got to high school, that continued. Then I got, got to high school. So I went to Granville High School and, and before I got there, they had their best basketball season. I was an athlete, played basketball and football. They had their best basketball season ever. They had their best football season in years. And then I get there and then we just, we just, really suck. <laughs> so then we start talking about the glory days, the good old days again. I get second best. Nothing, this is nothing against my parents or anything, but when my older brothers turned 16, they both got cars. When I turned 16, I get nothing. Thanks, mom and dad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> A lot of you know my mom and dad. They're awesome. I don't have any resentment towards them. Um, so then I still had this message, you don't deserve the best, you deserve second best. And then I go to Grace Bible College, where I played basketball, and four years prior, they win four national championships in a row in basketball. I get to Grace Bible, <laughs> we win one, but I was, I was a freshman and I rode the pine and never played a lick, so I didn't really count that. So I had this message that was, and a lot, I know it's like a lot of sports, and and. So I had this message that was following me everywhere. And I never shared it with anyone because I always thought, this is so stupid, Jake. You shouldn't be feeling this way. You were successful in high school. You were successful, personally successful in basketball and football and in school. You shouldn't be feeling this way. And so I never shared it with anyone. And I thought I had it figured out until I was sharing this with the conference. And then I mentioned something that I, even when I started here, guys, I started preaching here, and if you guys know the, the guy who was here before, Kurt Haynes, he's just a wonderful man of God. I, I love him dearly, but when he was here, this place was rocking, the Axos was rocking, you know, that's so much energy, and I get here, and all of a sudden, the numbers start going down, and all of a sudden, I start feeling like, man, like, maybe I missed out. Maybe I'm just second best at everything. And I start realizing, wow, Jake, you're not exempt from this exercise, and so I just have this feeling that I'm second best. I don't deserve the best. And then I take, and then I take this to God. And I take it in front of him. I, I, I present it to him. And he says, Jake, you were focused on all the wrong things. He said, Jake, you were focused on sports. You were focused on your own self. You were so focused on your own accomplishments. When I had you at Triunity for a purpose, I had you at Granville for a purpose. Jesus, he said, Jake, you deserve the best. And I was like, oh, that's a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. 
And I can tell you from that moment on, I've had more freedom preaching and doing my job as a minister of the gospel than I've ever had in the last year. But what it comes from is when we get honest with ourselves and we take these things that, you guys remember that picture I showed in the beginning? It's like our lives seem like jumbled messes that we have all these problems and it seems so fuzzy, our life, it doesn't make sense. But, oh, I thought the picture was behind me. Good thing I didn't say anything. <laughs> there it is. But what if I say this word, cow? Y'all see it? Y'all see it? And this is a perfect representation of when we think our life is a mess, when we think we have nothing going for us, if we hear a word from God, everything clears up. When we hear a word from God about our situation that seems messy, when it seems hopeless, when we hear a word from God, the things that are blurry come into focus. Can I have the worship team back up here? Am I good? Am I good? I'm asking now. I'm just hoping you like, caught. no, no. You guys, this is, this is just good. Thanks for being patient with me. I was rambling a little bit, but. I think God's happy, so I'll just, I'll just stick with what he says. Isn't that, isn't that what we're talking about, right? Um, but I want to do this. It's, it won't take long, I promise. But I want to I give us an opportunity. We talk about hearing the voice of God. It would be foolish of me not to give us an opportunity to actually hear from God. So I want to enter into that exercise, the same one that I led those three people into and the one that I did myself. And I, want to, and I want to take you through it. It doesn't take long, but it's very powerful. And so what I want you to do is, is once this, the music gets started here, um, I just ask you just to close your eyes for a second. And if you're here and you say, well, I hear the voice of God all the time, you're not exempt. And if you're here, I'm uncomfortable doing this, that's okay. We can't force you to do anything. But if you're here, this is a simple exercise to activate what I call our imagination, which God actually wants to use to speak to us and communicate with us. So what I want you to do is I want you to go back to the, to, I want you to go back to the house that you grew up in in your imagination. Can you picture it? I can picture mine. It's a white house. It's got like a light blue door, front door. And we're just activating our imagination. And just to show you that, that you can actually imagine and picture things. So I want you to picture your house, and I want you to walk through the front door, and I want you just to start walking through your house. Go to the living room. I want you to go to the kitchen, maybe the, the bathroom. And if you have bad experiences in your old house, then... Um, then this is actually a good place because I believe that Jesus actually wants to speak some different perspective about it. So as you go through your house, just imagine, you see maybe you have a basement, maybe you have upstairs, maybe you have your bedroom, bathrooms. And now what I want you to do is whether it's in your house or maybe it's an outside place, I want you to imagine the safest place that you could be or the most comfortable place that you could be in. If you could go anywhere just to relax and be comfortable away from life, where would you go? Picture that place in your head. Maybe it's somewhere that you've been. Maybe it's somewhere that you would hope to be, like in Aruba or Hawaii. I know I'd love to be there. Maybe it's, maybe it's on a beach. I don't know. 
So picture yourself in a safe place you're comfortable. I want you to imagine yourself there. And now I want you to imagine and picture that Jesus is at that place with you. Where is he at? Is he to your left? Is he to your right? Is he in front of you? Is he in a chair? Is he in a a bed next to you? Where, Where is Jesus located in that safe place, in that comfortable place that you're in? Now you're in that place. No, remember that we have these words that have defined us our whole lives. We have these words that the world has spoken about us and that we've believed. Maybe it's that you're a loser, a failure, a reject, lonely, never going to get married, never going to accomplish anything. Maybe, you're, maybe you've always believed that you're ugly. Maybe you've always believed that you're just a no good and nothing. Failure. We all have words that have, that have constantly followed us our whole lives. I want you to pinpoint that one word or maybe that one phrase. And I want you to take that word and you're in your safe place in that comfortable place with Jesus. And I want you to take that word and I want you to place it in your hands. You can even spell it out word, letter by letter what that word is and place it right in front of your hands, right in front of you. word that's defined you your whole life, the word that you've never been able to shake, the word that every experience in life has told, told you who you are. What is that word? Now I want you to turn to Jesus with that word in your hands. And I want you just to give it to him. Put it right in front of him. Put it right in front of Jesus. And I want you to say, Jesus, what do you want to do with this word? Jesus, what do you want to do with this word? If if he's still there and you're still in that place, just continue in it. If he's taken it away or whatever he's done with the word, I want you to ask him, Jesus, what word do you want to give me in return? What word or phrase, what do you want to give me in return? God, that the lies of the enemy are being broken tonight, that false identities are being taken away, God, that the lies in the, in the piercing arrows that the devil has been using for so long would be eliminated, God, and that your identity, God, what you see about us and who we are, God, will trump anything that comes our way from now on. I thank you, God, for the words that you've spoken to people and have this be a lifestyle of listening that we continue in, a lifestyle of tapping into what you have to say and what your word says, God. Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna go into a time of worship. You can stay in this position. You can stand up and sing if you want. We're gonna end um, with just 
praising God. But if you're in a moment where you're connecting God in a way that you never have before, stay in that place. Don't leave. Don't leave. God has so much to say. Remember, he's a blabbermouth, but it's good. He has so much to say about you and that things that you've wanted to hear your whole life that he wants to just speak over you. And the beautiful thing is when he says it, no one else can say anything because the God of the universe created you. And if you're here, and if you're here, we have, we have uh, prayer partners who are going to be up here. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you came here on a whim or maybe to support someone who came and you don't know God, you're not living for God, you're living your own life, but you want to get on track with Jesus today, we have prayer partners who are going to be over here. During this song, just hop on over there. They would love to pray with you, connect with you, talk with you, and get you plugged into what God's doing in Res Life and also in our community. So as we get going, um, I'll just pray to close here, guys. God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're doing. God, I ask that you would just continually open up our ears to what you have going on. Thank you, God, that your love is so mighty, so strong, never fails. In Jesus' name.